0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church. Transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We're talking these days about how to simplify our lives. Uh, The word simplify means to make something simpler, easier to do or understand. So two weeks ago, we talked about how we simplify our calendars. And we said that if we don't take charge of our calendars then we're going to live life just totally reactive. If uh, we don't take charge of that, no one else will. Last week, I had a panel of people that came up to help me, and we talked about simplifying our finances. And it's awesome that today we have 50 people signed up for Financial Peace University just starting this afternoon. So that was a great response to that. And even if we're not a part of FPU... There's things that all of us can do, regardless of what type of situation we are with our finances, where we can simplify them and take charge of our lives and use our money in ways that really glorify God, benefit people, and bring contentment and peace in our lives. So if you were not here last week, I would invite you to go to our website and check out uh, that message, podcasted on our website. Well, today we're talking about how to simplify our relationships. Relationships are complicated. Uh, When we hear descriptions about family relationships, the typical thing we hear in response is, well, it's complicated. (laughs) Romantic relationships are complicated. Business relationships, school relationships, friends. uh, Things get complicated in a hurry. And to help demonstrate what are some of the essentials that make relationships work well, I've asked Adam Parker, my friend, the very multi- talented Adam Parker, to come and, and assist me today. So what I want to do is ask you to call out now, and those of you who are at Renovate call out one or two word responses, what are some of the essential characteristics in a primary relationship that makes it work? Trust, trust, trust honesty that, that 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 is so huge we, we will we'll come back to that one, okay? What else? Respect. 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 So, respect is one of those things that we we need to have in a relationship. What else? Communication. 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 So, communication. Anything else? Humor. 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 Can you handle that humor? So, So there's lots of things that we can juggle. There's lots of different responses that's been called out. And, you know, if you drop one of those things, then chances are, you know, it'll bounce back to you, right? Uh, You can drop some things sometimes in relationships. In fact, who is not going to drop some things in relationships? And you hope that when you drop those, they come back to you, that you can regain them. But right off the bat, someone said trust or honesty. Now... When it comes to that, that's, that's fragile. That has to be handled with care. So when you handle trust, honesty, character in a relationship, that's something that you don't want to drop. You can drop other things, but you better not drop that. So uh, as we juggle all the things that happen in a relationship, <laughs> good luck with that uh, in juggling all those components of a relationship. So when you drop character, honesty, integrity, things shatter. It, it doesn't bounce back easily. It's hard to regain. Thank you, Adam, for your help today. <coughs> Watch where you walk uh, after the service. Relationships are complicated. But there's some things we drop, they can get back. When we drop the ball in integrity, when our character is shattered, it's hard to regain that. It's hard to get that back. Susan Kane uh, in her book, Quiet, she talks about the difference between extroverts and introverts. And she makes this interesting observation about what's taken place in our country. She says about 100 years ago, there was a big shift in our country. Where about 100 years ago, at the start of the 20th century, when you looked at show guides and and what people look for in terms of a successful life, what was composed as Part of the list were those inner virtues, and we've listed those inner virtues on the front of your pray study grow this morning, but the inner virtues of citizenship and duty and work and golden deeds and honor and reputation, morals, manners, integrity, these were the things that characterized a successful life. But 100 years ago, a major shift happened where we moved from the inner virtues toward the outer charms. And so what began to be emphasized in our culture, particularly in the Roaring Twenties, when we began to enter into celebrity worship, was, was a person magnetic. Were they fascinating, stunning, attractive, glowing, dominant, forceful, energetic? And so these things began to trump what was emphasized in terms of a person's life. Now, when you think about inner virtues and outer charm. The inner virtues is kind of the backstage, okay? The outer charm, what you see, the persona being projected. That's the front stage. And we can emphasize so much the facade and the persona and what's going on on the front stage that if we ignore the backstage, if we forget that the backstage is what supports the front stage, if the backstage is, orderly, is not orderly, if it's, not, if it's messy back there, it's not long that if we neglect what's behind the mask, then before we know it, everything in the front uh, will shatter as well. And what I would suggest when it comes to relationships is that we need to remember that virtue, character, integrity, integrity, those things trump. They trump personality or style. This was drilled into me as a kid. In my family of origin, one of the things that kept going down from generation to generation was that, you know, when you go out on a date, when you relate to the opposite sex, you act like a gentleman, you act like a lady. My grandmother would tell these stories when she would go to her, her father. Uh, my great-grandfather Hart, who was a Civil War veteran, and she was dressing up to go out with her bow, they called it in those days, and she would say, Pa, how do I look? Do I look pretty? And he would always say, Jenny, remember, pretty is as pretty does. And then my brother and I, when we'd go out on dates, my mother would look at us. And I remember she would say to Roger as he was going out on dates, and I would be staying at home, Roger, you be a good boy. I was so old by the time I had my first date. She said, Robert, go out and have a good time. (laughs) But that sense of character, uh, treating the other person, acting like a gentleman, acting like a lady, it was drilled in us. The movie Avatar is, is an interesting Metaphor for us. That uh, the Jake Scully that we see in Avatar, that everyone sees in Avatar, is very different than, than the character that nobody sees. We seem to be living in an Avatar world where we project to be much stronger, much more vital. The facade is everything. When inside of that, We might be very weak and disintegrating. So what I want to do in this message is I want to talk with you about uh, some of the things to look for that are toxic in a relationship. Some of the things that are destructive. Some of the things that run counter to the virtues that are needed. As we look at the book of Proverbs, then we're going to look at some of the teachings and the life teachings of Jesus in determining uh, what are the ways in which we can have healthy relationships. So in the Proverbs, it's a fascinating book, by the way, in the Old Testament. 31 chapters of Proverbs, of statements written by King Solomon and other writers about wisdom and how to do life and what's important in life. And you find in the 16th chapter of Proverbs these words about what God hates, okay? So here, here are six things God hates. And one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant. A tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent. A heart that hatches evil plots. Feet that race down a wicked track. A mouth that lies under oath. A troublemaker in the family. Six things, seven things the Lord hates. Now as you look at that list... Of the things that God hates. Think about our world today. You know, just the events of the last couple of weeks. it seems to me, as I look at our world, we're like kids on a playground that never grew up. We've got our bullies. I mean, we've got the terrorist, and you've got to stop the bullies. Everyone's got to find a way to stop the bullying. And yet, you know, we, we've got our cartoonists. We've got our free speech advocates. And yes, I'm all for that. But where's the sense where, you know, what we say and what we do, do we ever stop and think, how how is this unnecessarily offensive to somebody else? Or to groupings of people? How do we decide in the human family We have protests and protests, and and we have statements against statements. How do we figure out on this playground called earth to be civil and tolerant of the differences that people have? And how do these kind of things, arrogance, uh, mean-spiritedness, hands that shed innocent blood, scheming against others, uh, having a divisive spirit, How do these things, slandering even a prophet that means something to other people, how do those things play in the destructiveness of relationships? Now, now think about it in terms of your own personal life, too. When these things are present in me, what do I do? Man, when, when, when I am acting like that or thinking like that, They ought to be like warning signals on the dashboard of the car that says, pull over, stop the engine, time out, get a hold of yourself. This is the kind of stuff that destroys relationships. Or what if we are in a relationship with someone, one of those key inner circle people that we have, and these are the characteristics that characterize that relationship. What do we do about that? You know, this is really hard for so many people. What do you do when you're in a relationship, maybe a marriage relationship, in which there's a pattern of conduct that just keeps going on? There's not easy answers to this. But I would suggest that if you're in that situation, what you need are some go-to people. You need that inner circle of healthy people that will speak truth and love into your life. And will help you through that time to help you get your bearings. Everyone needs that. And we're going to talk more about having those tight-knit relationships around us. But my heart goes out to anyone that's in a relationship that's toxic. And, and people are not being fair. They're cheating. Many people that seek to work that out, and it takes two people to work that out, and they get out on the other side, they are happy that they stuck it out. It's just hard sometimes to know when you've got to cut bait and say, you know, this I can't tolerate. And we in the church need to be with each other as people go through those tough times. Well, let's shift the emphasis a little bit and look at the life and teachings of Jesus because Jesus really contrasts for us and helps us to see what a healthy relationship looks like or or the kind of a spirit or a heart that all of us hopefully want to have. Jesus is teaching in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, about himself, about how that he ultimately is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. But in the midst of his teaching, he draws an interesting contrast between a hired hand mentality... And a person with a shepherd's heart. And so let's look at these words of Scripture together. Jesus says this He says, A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees the wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd, I know my own sheep. And my own sheep know me. In the same way the Father knows me and I know the Father, I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They will recognize my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd notice the contrast that Jesus makes between a hired hand mentality and the shepherd. A hired hand is someone that, if it's in a marriage, it's just like, what's in it for me? Or if I'm employed, it's like, it's a job, it's a paycheck, it's about my career, what I can do, how I can advance myself. A hard hand mentality doesn't really know people, doesn't care about people, doesn't want to get into a relationship with people. And when there's trouble, they run away. You know, the first uh, most likely time a parent will run away in a marriage is when the first child arrives. Many times it's the male. Sometimes it's the female. When difficulty happens, when life is challenging... We discover what we're made of. A hired hand will run away when there's difficulty, doesn't care. But do we have a shepherd's heart? It takes a shepherd's heart to, to want to make a marriage works. It takes a shepherd's heart to want to reach out and care for people. When, when we hire people at Schweitzer, when we do the interview process, one of the things that we're discerning is, does this person have a hired hand mentality, or does she or he have a real heart for people? Is this person just in it for the paycheck, it's a job, it's a career move? Or does this person really about the big picture of, yeah, I love God, and I want to serve people, and I want to help people out. And yes, we want our employees to be competent, But character will trump everything, every time. Do you know how many, uh, what what the average tenure is for for this Fortune 500 CEOs in our country today? The average tenure a CEO serves a company in our top 500 companies. Just four and a half years. It illustrates what's happening to us as a people. Lots shorter tenures, even at the top, where either the CEO or the company gets in trouble or difficulty and runs. So what kind of a person am I? Who am I when I come in and I present myself to relationships, professional and business and marriage and otherwise. What kind of person do I want to be, and what kind of person do I want? people to be around me. Uh, Jesus. Bill Hybels has observed that uh, in Jesus' life there were different groups of people. There was the crowd. There's always the crowd that will follow Jesus as long as Jesus will feed them or heal them or do something for them. There's always people with that mentality. I am here to show up when you have got something for me. Jesus had all those people. They left him. When he started talking about a cross but then there were the 70 there were the 70 people that closer than facebook friends uh, people that jesus had in his life that he spoke truth into life into that he sent out in ministry people that he had an ongoing relationship with you and i we have our 70 people or we have people that we have an ongoing relationship with we connect with them, at least on an annual basis, people that we influence, people that we impact, and people that influence us. Who are the 70 in your life? And then there there were 12. There were the 12 people that Jesus had, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, the 12 guys, and they hung out together for three years together. They did life together. And so we need 12 people, give or take some numbers, but we need people that we're real with, people that we depend on, that depend on us on a deeper level, people that we connect with at least on a weekly basis. They could be family members. They could be close friends. They could be neighbors. They could be business associates. They could be co-workers. But who are the 12? And what kind of conduct and character do those 12 people have? Huge, huge question. But then there were the three that Jesus had. Peter, James, and John, there were the three guys of the 12. And Peter, James, and John, he had a close relationship with them. He took them aside and he showed them things that he never showed anybody else. They experienced things with Jesus that the other 12 did not know. He poured into them in terms of leaders. They were his inner circle. You know, it is huge who's in your inner circle. And everyone needs those three. Jesus also had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the other three. This family, who may have been his biological relatives, we don't, we're not sure, but this was the family that he liked to go to, hang out with, he spent time with, various times, even a few days before he died. They were more intimate and more loving and more real with each other. Three, again three, three. So who are the three for you? If you're married, hopefully it's your spouse is one of the three. Lifelong friend. Someone that you would be able to say, yes, this is what's true in me. Someone that will speak truth into your life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the persons who will say not what you always want to hear, but what you will hear. People that will keep you mutually accountable. People who will pray for you that's got your back and that's there with you. Thick and thin. You know, if you're in a close relationship with people that you do life with on the business area of life, that's critical too. You know, it means everything to me to have uh, people like Jason and Jim as pastors who, who are part of my inner circle and, and my wife Susan. I would trust I would trust them with anything. And when you don't have that, man, you're in trouble. So, Think about the three people that are those people for you. What have we talked about today in terms of relationships? We've talked about that the culture has got it wrong. We've talked about how that virtue still trumps style or outer charm. We're not against magnetic relationships but that magnetism dissipates in time quickly when integrity and character and honesty is not there. We've talked about how we need to be aware when those things that the Lord hates comes up as dashboards on our car, signals. We noted that Jesus... And God doesn't hate people, but God does hate those things that destroys people's relationships and lives. We're living in a world where the children on the playground have bullies and we don't know what to do. And we seem to never be able to grow up. But you are different. You are a follower of Jesus. Or I hope you want to be. You wanna be a part of the way, the life and the teaching of Jesus. And you wanna be careful in the relationships that are closest to you. Who do you choose to be in those relationships? And when someone that is in the 12 or in the three is messing up, you need all the wisdom and all the care and all the compassion and all the prayer and all the support that you can muster in deciding how can I help this person How can I help this person to help themselves, and if that time comes, when is it necessary for me to cut off that relationship? And how do I be the person of character? How do I follow Jesus in such a way that the twelve people around me, the three people around me, reflect the character of Jesus? Next week, as we talk about Simplify Our Lives, we're going to talk about the greatest relationship of all. But right now, what I want to do is invite you for a couple of minutes, and you over at Renovate as well, to take this sheet of paper and to just list the names of people. If there's some people that come to mind that are the 70, go ahead. But who are the 12? Maybe people in your life group or a small group or relationships, family. That you know? Who are the twelve people that that you connect with on a weekly basis that's there for you? And then who are the three? Who's your inner circle? Who can you trust with your life? Choose well. Think about how that those three people can be everything in your life. When you have those three, when you have those 12, relationships are a lot less complicated. Just spend a few moments prayerfully and think about those people.